Keystone is a private credit platform. We've invested about $4.5 billion across uh, 500 direct transactions. Uh, we're a little bit different than the mainstream uh, direct lending universe in that we're highly focused on assets and asset value uh, more than say uh, it's a good CEO or a good story or a good idea. Welcome to the Financial Commute, a weekly podcast that gives you the rundown on what's going on in the current market, how it affects you, and what you can do about it, all designed to fit into your commute. I'm your host, Chris Galeski, and each week I share the table with a knowledgeable guest, including Morton Wealth Advisors, fund managers, and investment analysts, to break down complex financial topics. Our goal is to provide you with the tools to help you navigate any market environment, leading to a path of more confident investing. For those of you that don't know, my name is Chris Galeski. I'm one of the wealth advisors here at Morton. I've got John Earl here from Keystone, one of our private investment managers that I'd really like to highlight. Oftentimes, clients ask us, you know, why do you use private investments? And one of my problems with the industry is we speak in such absolutes, like only invest in index funds. They're cheap and low cost. And where that may be true, if you only invested in index funds with your safest money, the money that you're supposed to want to have protect you and generate income for you, you were probably down 13% last year. You're probably down about two this year. Doesn't feel very good for generating income or your, your safe money. And so John Earl with, with, White, with Keystone, our other managers like Whitehawk and Artez and Pender, they really highlights the value that they do have for our clients and for us because they did not have that experience of losing clients' money last year or this year so hopefully compliance is not around, but, but we really love the relationship that we have with them. And I'm looking forward to talking a little bit about Keystone, why we think it's great, and, and why it's important for you guys to believe in us and invest along with it. So, John, thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me, Chris. Let's start with, you know, what is Keystone? Talk to us a little bit about Keystone is a private credit platform. We've invested about $4.5 billion across uh, 500 direct transactions. Uh, we're a little bit different than the mainstream uh, direct lending universe in that we're highly focused on assets and asset value uh, more than, say, uh, it's a good CEO or a good story or a good idea. We're very focused on, on assets. We're not a distressed debt player. We're not looking for distressed or distressed companies. We're looking for healthy situations that we can make better with valuable uh, credit capital. Um, we're a, uh, a lender and a lessor to uh, companies, uh, family offices that look like uh, and act like companies. Uh, and more and more, particularly this year, uh, other fund managers actually. We're doing a lot of uh, NAV lending where other fan fund managers will pledge all of their assets to us uh, in return for some additional capital. Um, you might want to check your fund manager to see if they're doing that. Uh, it's a really interesting business for us. Um, and so if you know someone who has a lot of assets and they're willing to pledge all of them to us, uh, we might be willing to uh, look at lending them uh, a little bit of money. Uh, our typical transaction size is between 20 and 50 million, and uh, we're seeking uh, mid-teens, senior-secured, unlevered returns uh, on a gross basis at the at the fund level. And just one other comment by by way of intro, Chris. It's uh, such an interesting environment. Uh, in my 10 years as an investment banker and 15 years. 
uh, leading Keystone. I don't think I've ever seen a market like this. Maybe the GFC resembled this, but it's a time when seemingly everybody needs money. And we're in, a, in an, an environment and an economy uh, that in many cases is very asset rich and liquidity poor, and that's really where we thrive. I'm glad that you brought that up because there are a lot of concerns out there in the world with banks failing, rising interest rates, inflation, fears of a recession. And you know, the economy has been very resilient. When you bring up the fact that we're an asset-rich environment, but people need access to money, but you thrive in this environment, why do you thrive in this environment? Well, uh, we, we all know the environment. It's a high interest rate environment. It's today a high inflation rate environment. Um, a lot of th those factors have caught a lot of people, I think, off guard. And just having the ability to meet the needs of, of users of capital, I think, is key. Having the capital is key. You mentioned the banks. Um, one of the great things that's happened to us is uh, a really challenged uh, anemic banking environment uh, this year. Um, and so uh, a lot of the situations that we can provide capital to or, or address are either business plans or let's say uh, a real estate plan that's been in the works for a while, maybe when rates were very, very low. Now rates are much higher. There's a lot more equity capital that's needed and we're there for our borrowers. Um, most of the time, our capital is used for opportunity, not, not to get somebody out of trouble. Uh, or, and we're certainly not a loan-to-own company, but I think just being there, understanding value, understanding our, our clients' needs and being able to provide that, you know, that very valuable uh, collateral to go out and address opportunities for their businesses, um, that's, uh, that's why we're thriving in this market. So I guess a couple of things that I took away from that is that with banks sort of exiting this space, you're seeing more deals, more opportunities. If you're seeing more deals and opportunities, you can be a little bit more selective, and you're providing capital to help people grow. That's, that's correct. Um, and so uh, in this environment, we're overwhelmed with, with deal opportunities. Uh, we have uh, opportunities far in excess of our capital. So send us some more capital. <laughs> I think we can. Um, one of your largest verticals or spaces that you play in is equipment lease financing. So you've got businesses that need to buy a semi-truck or a large piece of equipment. It's a huge capital expenditure. And so you guys will go and buy that piece of equipment, lease it to them, and have it amortized over a few years. I'm curious, it almost seems like if you have insight into that side of the economy, you could see the health of certain sectors or the overall economy pretty well in advance. So if people aren't needing as much capital, as much equipment, maybe we are not expanding and slowing down. Tell me a little bit about what that insight gives you to, to make better decisions. Yeah, that's a really interesting uh, question. So last year, we were really excited about a theme that we hadn't seen it forever, and that's the theme of onshoring. We're seeing a lot of manufacturing uh, companies want to bring their their uh, manufacturing either in the U.S. or to Mexico or to Canada and take less risk on, on China and other areas of higher risk in, in the world. And so we were really excited about uh, this onshoring trend, which was a long re reversal of a long trend of, of offshoring. And we expect the onshoring trend to be long and, and deep. But 
uh, like you mentioned, in the first half of the year, this has been a year of, I don't know how many crises, we can add up uh, at least five significant crises in this year. And so we did see a pullback in, in some of the CapEx and we thought we would see more equipment leasing. Um, the second half of the year, uh, we've seen that uh, reverse itself and, and, and there has been much more uh, pent up demand for equipment leasing. But I wanna just talk about why we like equipment leasing for a minute. And equipment leasing for us is owning mission critical equipment and then leasing it on a pretty short term basis, uh, having the equipment completely paid for during the term of our lease. So um, we're not going to lease something and then at the end of that lease have 50% of our money back. We want 100% of our money back. And so if we have equipment that lasts for 10 years, like a bulldozer or a truck, you mentioned a truck, we'll still put that on 36 month terms and we'll amortize down over that 36 month period of time and then the equipment will, will revert to the, uh, to the customer. Well, what that does for us is it gives us a amortizing debt structure which is the most attractive debt structure. Uh, it allows us to own the mission critical equipment that makes the money for the, the company and it really helps our loan to value. So imagine you're leasing a bulldozer or some yellow iron and you've got half of your money back in 18 months. Uh, on a piece of equipment that's probably going to last 12 or 15 years. It's a good position. I've got a client in the audience that has a bulldozer that's just sitting on his property. He <laughs> might, might want to give it to you guys to lease it out. Um, so if you guys thrive in sort of volatile environments because you're able to look at a number of different opportunities, what environments sort of make you nervous? What challenges kind of keep you up at night? The toughest environment for us uh, in recent history was 2018 and 2019 where there was money everywhere, risk on, lots of funds being raised to go throw money at the world. Um, and at that time we thrived, we did, we did well. Um, we, uh, we generated uh, our targeted returns in basically a zero yield environment. But we started including uh, a box uh, in our, our presentation. We have equipment leasing, financial assets, real estate lending, and corporate lending. And in 2018, we added this box that said stress and distress. And what we told our, our clients, our investors was, there's not any stress in the market today. We wish there were, there's no stress or distress. But when it comes, two things will happen. One is your portfolio is going to weather it and two, opportunities are gonna be wide open. And we didn't know that COVID was right around the corner. Talk about stress and distress. Um, but we had no COVID-related losses in the portfolio or markdowns of any sort. And we've had a pretty bumpy road since 2020. Um, it's been a, that is the, that's the ideal environment for us. Got it, and, and you mentioned a new sort of vertical, as you would call it, that you guys are kind of going into now, which is this net asset value lending, NAV lending. Can you walk through us what NAV lending is and sort of why it's come about? So uh, I mentioned the liquidity rich and I mean the asset rich and liquidity uh, poor marketplace. So uh, many of you may have read the headlines how monetizations in private equity funds and other types of funds has really slowed down. Uh, we've had a slowdown in IPOs. We've had a dramatic slowdown in the M&A market. So companies that these private equity managers were expecting to sell are just staying on the books longer and longer. And they have, and it's been harder to raise capital for, for those, those firms. And so they have capital needs that are, that are not being met. And so we've done NAV lending in the past, just not as much as we're doing today. I'll give you a case study. Yeah. We lent money. Uh, earlier this year to a $2 billion 
uh, fund of funds with more than 450 investments in it. So very diversified, great track record fund manager. We lent money to them at less than a 10% loan to value and they pledged the entire funds, $2 billion of assets uh, to Keystone. And uh, why did they do that? Well, they were worried about some capital call needs that they might have to meet and their fund had a redemption feature, so they were worried about that. So they were willing to pay uh, double-digit, low-teens cost of capital to us, pledge 100% of the assets of the fund uh, so that you know, we could lend them uh, at about a 10% advance rate. And we're working on multiple deals today that, that uh, may not fit those exact numbers, but are, are really similar. So you're able to provide capital to kind of help people weather through a storm and have you know, sufficient assets behind it. In this particular example, $2 billion, pledging 10%. So you're loaning them, what, $20 million with $2 billion behind it? It, 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 was, uh, it was a $120 million loan that Got we it. and another firm did, yes, um, but resulted in less than a 10% loan to value. And so this is, brings up a really interesting point. Why, why will a, a healthy uh, borrower or somebody who's not just crashing and burning why would they be willing to borrow money at 15%? And in this case, uh, they were protecting themselves. Um, they didn't know, given that this was the first half of this year when Silicon Valley Bank failed and other challenges were emerging, they didn't know if they were going to have investors that were wanting to redeem some of their, um, uh, some of their capital out of the fund. If that did happen and it didn't wind up happening, they wanted to have capital on hand so they didn't disappoint their investors. So they wanted to save face, keep the confidence of their investors. In other cases, it's just that the opportunity set that a borrower sees is so great. Uh, I know this is expensive capital, but what I'm going to get by using this capital is really special. I want to go attack that opportunity. The banks aren't there for me. Other capital sources aren't there for me. Uh, maybe we thought we were going to sell this other you know, portfolio company that we have or IPO it. That didn't happen. I need the money. Here's the opportunity. Keystone, can we get $40 million at a low LTV? Yeah, got it. So by being able to provide you know, decent capital to give peace of mind, that high interest rate that they're paying really just, it's, it's a small rounding error compared to the overall size of the fund. Yeah, and it's temporary. Our loans tend to be uh, one to three year loans. So that's another key differentiator between us and mainstream, mainstream private credit. Mainstream direct lending or private credit is typically six or seven years. So it's basically, hey, I think you got a great idea and a great business. Here's the money, pay us back in seven years. We would never do that. So we're either fully amortizing within a few years or fully repaid and asset-backed. And if interest rates continue to go up from here, how are you helping protect clients in that, that scenario? <laughs> That's the really interesting question. Um, we uh, have uh, a big part of our book is floating rates, so we'll benefit from that. But actually, we're at the point now where we're willing to fix rates. We're, if we can get a 15% rate and we can stay in the deal for two or three years, uh, and if interest rates go up by 20 base, or 50 basis points or 100 basis points for that matter, we're fine. Um, we have a view that by three years we might see a little bit of abatement. It's very difficult to predict interest rates and we're not in that business. Um, but we certainly can be there to, to provide the capital. But we are very cognizant. Interest rates are causing enormous problems. Um, I just um, was on the phone on my way in here with uh, uh, a colleague that is working with an owner of a, one of the larger Ritz-Carlton's in the U.S., and uh, they are in deep, 
trouble because they were not expecting rates to move where they are now and they're scrambling for uh, capital. Well, that story is repeated 10,000 times across the U.S. today where rates have caught uh, groups by surprise and it does, you know, higher rates do create lower values and, and so um, there will be continued stress and distress if what you say happens, Chris, if, if rates do go up more. I think that that's, that's sort of on a lot of people's minds. We hear the headlines all the time that, you know, there's this debt maturity wall or all these loans that were really cheap interest rates. They're coming due here in the coming years at higher interest rates. People can't refinance or they need help. And so it's causing some concern. Um, it seems like you're a place that people can go to to help bridge the gap. How many deals do you maybe look at and then say yes to versus no? Uh, we say no to the vast majority of deals. Um, it's interesting being in this audience, and I don't get to sit before the investors uh, very often, but we actually do get a lot of interesting transactions from our uh, advisors' clients. And we, we hear from advisors, hey, would you, you know, you wouldn't think about doing this, would you, Keystone? You guys are pretty creative. And occasionally we'll get deals. But we say no to the vast majority uh, of deals, but it is certainly a, a very interesting environment with the in my mind, unprecedented uh, deal flow for what we do. Great. Um, can you share a couple more stories of some deals that you've done recently that you, you really like? You shared the one with the you know, net asset value lending, $2 billion fund needed $120 million. What other stories do you have? Yeah, there's another net asset value loan I'd like to kind of highlight, and it's a really different kind of a loan that you wouldn't really see um, a bank do or another uh, type of maybe regular way direct lender do. Um, we had a fund manager that we've known for you know, 12 years say, hey, we're in an $82 million senior secured loan. It's a great loan, uh, but we want to, uh, we need capital for, for other things. Our fundraise has gone slower than what we expected. We've made commitments elsewhere. Uh, how about you uh, participate with us in this $82 million senior secured loan? And we looked at it and said, nah, it's not that really, it's good. Uh, we think you guys are going to be fine, but it's not attractive enough for us to really um, just blend in with you, participate, you know, pro rata. We said, how about we do a first out position where you subordinate all of your capital in this loan to us, and then we give you some money. Oh, no, we can't do that. Well, a month later, they came back and said, now, what would the terms of that first out position be? So we did a $35 million loan uh, to them, subordinated by their entire $82 million capital stack, which we which we liked. We didn't love being, we didn't want to be in their exact shoes, but they felt that we had, that we all felt we had about $120 million of valuable collateral uh, to backing up the loan. And so we're $35 million um, protected by $120 million of capital. So that's a really unusual kind of a creative first out position um, with another fund manager. I'm not sure the fund managers, investors were completely aware that they were doing this. There was no prohibition uh, against a first out uh, participation uh, in the loan documents. And so we're able to create these creative solutions for, for other fund managers. On a very different sector, we have a real estate team that's got tremendous expertise in evaluating real estate. And we're working with a, a multi-hundred thousand uh, person city that's redeveloping its downtown and they expect to get about $2 billion of additional uh, tax uh, revenue cumulatively over a long period of time from this redevelopment. Um, and so the project's about 200 million. We expect to uh, 
we expect to bring about 100 million of that. The city is issuing a $100 million bond, and they will use that money to put in equity that's junior to us. So we've got a, a great strategic partner that can't lose this asset. They're putting in $100 million of equity below our $100 million of debt, and we're getting a, a low teens return out of it. They had a, a bank that they thought was going to do it, but we talked about the banks. The bank's biggest problems are real estate loans right now, and they've loaded up uh, when the federal stimulus came they got so much money into their coffers, they had to put it somewhere, they put it in very, very cheap real estate loans, and those loans are now underwater. So the banks are, to a very large extent, on the sidelines today in real estate lending, and it gives us an opportunity to do deals like this one uh, in partnership with a city where, you know, if we'd come to the table with a 13% rate of return, we would have been laughed out of the room in 2019. And now they're saying, thank you for helping us because this project has been in the works. We have to get it done. Yeah. John, thank you so much. We're, we're out of time, but you and I are going to be in that back room to kind of help answer more questions. The key takeaways here are having assets behind the loans that you're doing, being able to take advantage of a higher interest rate environment, and and leveraging those assets to help protect you in downturns and looking for opportunities that are out there. So John, thank you so much. Thank you, Chris and team. Yep. Thank you for joining us. We hope this episode has provided you with a roadmap to feel more confident as an investor. To receive notifications about weekly episodes, email us at financialcommute at mortonwealth.com.